Well, good evening, everyone. I'm glad you're here tonight. Aren't you glad to be in God's house? It is, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. What a great and awesome and sovereign God that we have and that we serve together. And I am so glad that you're here tonight. Invite you, I invite you now to open your Bible, and we're in 1 Peter. We are looking into chapter number 4. You may say, hey, pastor, you skipped over a chapter. We are in chapter number 4. Some of the themes that are found in chapter number 3... We've uh, covered in, in earlier messages, and so tonight we are jumping over to chapter number four, and we're going to begin with verse number seven. And so remember, Peter is writing from Rome. He's writing to churches in not modern uh, Turkey, uh, what we consider modern Turkey in Asia Minor, and it's a circular letter trying to encourage them as they're in the midst of hardship and difficulty and persecution and some suffering, but in the midst of all of that, he's encouraging them as a man of faith who knows about that kind of thing. He's encouraging them to be faithful and true to the Lord and that God has a great plan for them. Keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep loving people. Keep trusting the Lord. And keep, uh, uh, don't cause hardship on yourself by being contrary or disobedient to government structures, work structures. He lived in obedient to God's plan in the home and the family. And then also keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who suffered for you. Now, very practically in chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 7, he reminds them that one of the great things that you can do as you're in the middle of hardship, difficulty, suffering in your life, is to realize that this is not the end. This is not as good as it gets. That Jesus Christ is coming again. Anybody glad about that? Christ is coming again. Do you believe that? Notice in verse number 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. And whoever serves, let him do so by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The expansion of this outline you can find online under messages, and so you can go to the website and see that. You can always follow along, and uh, also some of the scripture verses that are there. And so we've sort of uh, abbreviated the outline tonight for, uh, well, we just have. And so I think it's going to help us all. But anyway, uh, you can go there to pick up the fullness of the outline. Tonight, I want us to look at what he has to say in verse number 7. Peter's reminding them the end of all things is at hand. What he's saying is the second coming of Jesus Christ is just around the corner. The end of all things is at hand, the New American Standard Bible says. The end of all things is near, maybe your translation says. He's saying Christ's coming again is soon. 
And we're moving toward not nothingness, not more chaos, but we are moving and hurtling forward in Christ's redemptive plan that will be uh, consummated at the consummation of God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul reminds us that this work, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that God's work is not finished and complete, and he's bringing to the day of completion. In chapter number 15, verse number 24, he says, concerning the coming again of Jesus, and then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father whom he abolished, when he abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until, his, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that, he's expected, that he is expected to put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected, subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. I'm telling you, God is carrying out his sovereign plan. And at the right moment, the trumpet of God will sound and Jesus Christ is coming again. And all of the enemies will be underneath his feet. We are to live for him until his coming again. Amen. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Romans 13, verse number 11. And this do, knowing the time. It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let's lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amen. What Paul is saying is it's time to wake up, it's time to clean up, and it's time to dress up. He says it's awaken from your sleep. He says the day is at hand. He said lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. James tells us in chapter number 5 that the judge is standing right at the door. He is coming again. Christ has a plan and purpose, and we need to be living for him when he comes. In James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, Until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your heart. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, brethren, against one another. That you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Wow. He is coming again. And we need to be living for him until he comes. Jesus said, be ye ready for an hour that you think not the Son of Man cometh. Are you living your life 
looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ? How many of y'all believe Jesus is coming again? How many of y'all believe he's coming again? I do too. Are you living your life today as if Christ might come at any moment? Amen. When you do, he says, I want to, he's reminding us, Peter is, he said, then prioritize your life for prayer because Christ is coming again. He says in verse number seven, make priority prayer in your life. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Do live with discernment and be focused for prayer. He said, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He says, have your mind unclouded by things that distract you. He says, have a sense of spiritual discernment and understand eternal things that are going on and don't be distracted. Many things, listen, want to distract us. Often they're just temporal things, not eternal things. They're perishable things. They're political things. <laughs> They're entertaining things. And they make you drunk and inebriated, thinking these are the most important things, and they're not. It's His kingdom. It's about what He's called us to do, His mission. The mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same today as it was when He first gave us the marching order. And the drama of life, if you're not careful, will, will cause you to miss your purpose for living and for your life. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. And the questions that I'm going to ask, you can find these in the expanded outline. The first question I want to ask you is, what are you on earth for? I mean, why on earth are you here anyway? Why on earth are you here? First of all, you were, you were designed and purposed and created to give glory to God. Your life came from God. Your life will go back to God. You didn't cause yourself to be born. He caused you to be born. You didn't give yourself life. He gave you life. And he or being, you've been created to reflect him, to give glory to Him, and to live to please Him. You were created by God, and you were recreated in Christ Jesus to give Him honor and glory. Paul said, my ambition above everything else is to be pleasing unto Him. Now, my question for you, in what way are you giving Him glory today in your life? In what way are you reflecting glory to God with the way you're living your life? Don't be distracted. Number two, second question. Why on earth has God left you here? Why in the world has he left you here? Why didn't he just save you and then take you home? How would you answer that? I think God left you here for a purpose. He's got a reason. You don't have some mindless existence to be here. He has a purpose for your life. Every one of us in this room. And it's to accomplish his purpose to give him glory, to spread the good news of the gospel. So what is it that you can do? The question I want to ask you, what is it that you can do that nobody else can do? What is it that you can do that nobody else can do? What is uniquely 
your role and purpose in this world in which we live. You say, Pastor, I don't think that I have any. Oh, I think that you do. First of all, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He has a plan and purpose for you. You're no accident. Secondly, you've been born for such a time as this. You've been born for this day. God's got a purpose for you. And relationally, listen, relationally, you've been given a role that no one else has been given. And if you don't do your job and fulfill your mission, who will do it? So when you abdicate your relational role, eternity is affected. And those individuals that are uniquely related to you are injured when you refuse to do what God's called you to do and left you here to do. I talk with men all the time whose fathers abandoned them and the scar that comes into their life. When you're absentee, listen to me, men, when you're an absentee dad and an absentee husband, it has a huge impact in the lives of your children. Now, listen to me. No one else but you can be a father to your own children. When you refuse to teach them as a father or a mother, who will? Oh, there might be substitutes, but they can't take your place. Mothers who don't mother, instead they act like adolescents. You're doing great harm to your children. When children aren't trained by their parents, loved by their parents, it brings scars in your life. That's why Malachi chapter 4 reminds us that at the coming of the Lord, at the coming of the day of the Lord, at the coming of a sense of revival, that God will turn fathers' hearts back to their children. Because sin distracts us away from our own children. Your greatest purpose is your own family and their spiritual welfare. What is the mission and purpose of your life? Next question. What is your relationship with his church? God has kept you here for a reason. He's caused you to be born again so that you might use your gifts. He's placed you in the life of his church to serve him. Are you serving him in the place that God's called you? What about the mission of your life? What's the mission statement of your own life? Are you carrying out God's vision and purpose and mission for you as a person living here? Are you, is the prayer of your life, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What place does prayer have in your life? In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, in verse number 18, Ephesians, Paul writes that great passage where he talks about putting on all of the armor of God. And he moves right into prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times, in the Spirit, 
with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition, how? For all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He said, pray for me. Pray for you. Listen, you're to pray for your children. You're to pray for your mate. You need to be praying for your grandchildren. You need to be praying for your parents. You need to be praying for your neighbors. You need to be praying for your coworkers. You need to pray for your pastor and the staff pastors. You need to be praying for lost people. You need to pray for your community group. You need to pray for the glory of God to be revealed. You need to pray for revival. You need to pray for our nation. You need to pray for those in authority. You need to, it's time for the people of God to start to pray. Not be inebriated with a million things. Pray without ceasing. Seek God in prayer. Listen, we're in the middle of an election deal that I've never seen anything quite like it in my life, and the whole thing blew up and took days to figure out. Former Vice President Biden most likely will be the President of the United States. And I'm telling you, I can gripe or complain about it or I can be glad about it. But I'll tell you one thing I've made a commitment to do. I'm praying for that man. And I'm praying for the future Vice President Harris. And I'm praying for President Trump. And I'm praying for Vice President Pence, and I'm praying for Governor Pritzker, and I'm praying that we might have a tranquil life, but I'm also praying for this church that will rise up and be the people of God. Instead of being inebriated with junk, let's carry out what God's called us to do as a church. Amen? Secondly, I got excited. Secondly, (laughs) fervently love. We are to fervently love. Notice what he says, Peter says in this passage of Scripture, verse 8. Above all, most importantly, keep fervent, the New American Standard says, in your love. It means keep it warm. Don't let your love go cold. Literally, you could translate it strenuously love. Stretch out your muscles of love and love good, love strong, love right, love real, love. If you don't love, there's something deeply wrong in your life. Listen, Peter knows about this on a seashore conversation with Jesus after the resurrection. Three times he said to him, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Peter was a little bit of a remedial student. He had to be asked the same question three times in a row. Finally, God broke into his heart. Loving me is first priority. And then you shepherd and love my sheep. Fervently love. Don't let your love grow cold. The book of Revelation, chapter number 2, verse... Number two, the church that's in Ephesus, an angel writes to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, you can't endure evil men, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, 
and found them to be false. And you have perseverance. You've endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. This is a good church, seemingly. But I have this against you. You left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you've fallen. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Why is this essential? Because if you don't love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will not love your neighbor as yourself. And then let love do its perfect work in your life. Because love covers, Peter said, a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked and does not take into account wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It says love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean it's like a, a cover-up. No. It means it's not hidden from the eyes of God, people that sin against God. But in your eyes, you're not thinking about their sins and their failures so much as how much you love them, you care about them. But an evil heart desires to take the sins of others and drag them out in public display and dishonor them by it. In the book of Genesis, it's an interesting story, isn't it, when Noah gets off the boat after the flood. He plants a vineyard. Do you remember the story? First thing that happens, he gets drunk. Drunk as a skunk on new wine. So drunk that he finds himself in a dishonorable place naked as a jaybird, and his son walks in and sees it. When Ham sees him, he goes out and mocks his father by telling his brothers, hey, the old man's drunk and naked. Come and see. But the other two sons put a cloth, and they hold it up, and they back so they don't look at him. And they cover him, and they honor him. It brought a curse on him because of his dishonoring of his father. And what Noah did was wrong, getting drunk. But Ham dishonored his father. Oh, there's a lot of people like that today. They, when somebody else fails or they sin, you can't run to go out and give a morsel about somebody else's failure. He said, but love covers a multitude of sins. Here's a question for you. How can I love others if I'm not in love with the Lord? (laughs) Right? See, the second commandment is not possible if you don't keep the first one. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you won't love your neighbor if you don't love God first 
and supreme. Secondly, how can I love others when they're wrong? Well, pastor, how can I love them when they're so wrong? Well, how can I love them when they're so sinful? So, Well, that makes an, another question I want to ask you. Do you need anybody to love you? You need anybody to forgive you? How, how many of you all here, you need somebody to forgive you, love you? The rest of you just lying. You do. Maybe in your self-righteousness, you think that you don't need it. You do. You're lost. You're messed up. You're sinful. So am I. Why don't you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? On this, hang the law and the prophets. Amen? Are you with me? Staying with me? What hinders us from loving and forgiving people? What, what's the thing that holds us back from loving them? I'm glad you asked. Look with me to 1 John. Do you have your Bible? Look with me to 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love God one another. Amen. Amen. You see, listen to me, the barrier to love is sin. It's the sin that's in us, not in them. It's not their sin that's a barrier to you loving. It's your sin that's a barrier to loving. You hear me? Did God love us when we were still sinners? It's what Romans 5.8 says, right? God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we were yet what? Christ did what? Died for us. So he loved you when you were unloving, unlovely, and sinful. Wow. So the barrier to loving is sin in us. Number three. In practical, he says, very practically, Peter says, he says, keep fervent in your prayer, love covers, a, uh, fervent in your love, love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another and without complaining, without complaint. What he's saying, what does it mean to show hospitality? In the New Testament days, in biblical days, hospitality was so essential. It's not like there was a Holiday Inn Express on every corner. And so in the New Testament days, you welcomed people into your home. You welcomed them around your table. And you welcomed them into your life. 
He says, don't complain about serving others. What is hospitality? Someone's written that hospitality is living a life of welcome, of welcoming others, inviting others into your life, willing to serve others, willing to be vulnerable with others, openness to others, to give and to serve, to care and to love tangibly. It's the opening of your life for genuine friendships and companionships. And you do it and you serve without complaint, without griping. Why do people that serve and then gripe about it, why are they like that? What do you think? Why do we complain and gripe? I submit to you the reason that we gripe and complain is we really didn't want to do it in the first place. Or we didn't get what we wanted out of it because we had another motive, and it's our pride, our selfishness. You see, complaining reveals a motive problem deep in you and me. Questions. Do you welcome others into your life and your home? Are you meeting people's needs in love? Do you have genuine friendships and relationships where you love and welcome them into your life? Do you have a gracious spirit? And what is the motive that's driving your life? Are you correct? Are you griping and complaining, or are you doing it out of love? <laughs> e. Stanley Jones was a great evangelist, circuit-riding preacher that won many to Christ, planted many churches in the frontier days of America. He was preaching and taking the gospel across the Alleghenies to the westward expansion and preaching the gospel in any village and hamlet and out in the country, in rural places, and winning people to Christ. He tells the story of preaching in the mountains of Kentucky to some people who are incredibly poor. They held the evangelistic meetings in a schoolhouse. He wasn't sure where he would spend the day. A poor farming couple said, Brother Jones, if you'd like to stay in our home, we welcome you. It's not much, but we welcome you to our home. He graciously said thank you and, and accepted their invitation. He said, when I walked into their small frontier cabin house, he says, it was a one-bed house. And so when we got ready to retire to bed, the husband, the man of the house said, you take the far side, preacher, against the wall. And then the man climbed into the bed, and then the wife climbed into the bed, and they all three favored her. That seems weird to us in this day, doesn't it? He said, he said, I turned my face to the wall as they dressed, and they stepped out while I dressed. That was real hospitality, Joan said. He said, I've slept in palaces 
But the hospitality of that one-bed home is the most memorable and the most appreciated in my life. Number four, serve one another as good stewards. Notice what Peter has to say. And he says, verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He said, you've been given a, you've been given a grace gift. And God has given you this wonderful grace gift, and he's given it to you to serve others. And for some of you, you've received grace gifts in speaking, and others of you have received grace gifts in serving. Grace gifts of speaking might be teaching and preaching and prophesying and, and evangelizing and disciple-making and instructing and writing or the New Testament doesn't talk about it, but blogging might be speaking. But then there's serving gifts, which is administrative gifts and helps gifts and organizing gifts and visiting people's gifts and praying with people's gifts and supporting people and providing and resourcing people. And he says, these gifts that God's given you, employ them. Put them to work as a good steward because they're not yours. They were given to you by God. And he says, use them because you're going to give an account to God if you refuse to do that. You see, you weren't left here, listen, my friends, to be served but to serve and use the gifts God's given you. I get so sick and tired of people church hopping because they say, well, I, I'm just not enjoying the services so much. I wasn't getting anything out of it for me. Well, maybe you ought to go to work and use your gift for God. God didn't leave you here to sit on a bench. He left you here to work using the gifts he's given you. Amen? So questions. How has God gifted you? How are you serving him now? Are you? The next question to consider is what hinders you? from serving. Let me tell you what hinders us from serving. I'll give you a hint. Three letters. S-I-N. Sin in your life keeps you from serving. God, when you serve others, and when you serve in His church, and when you serve, you're serving the Lord. It's a wrong attitude in us when we refuse to serve. Amen? Number five, 
do all things for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Notice in verse number 11, and whoever speaks, let him speak as it were what? What's it say? Verse 11, the utterances of God. And whoever serves, let him do so by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. He said, if you have the gift of speaking, then speak, do your very best. Speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Take it seriously and give God the best in your life. Be real, be genuine, and depend on Him. And if you have gifts of serving, then serve with the strength that He supplies. Depend on Him to use you to serve. And do it all that God would be glorified. Through Jesus Christ. Because we're going to live for a, with abandon to bring glory to Jesus Christ. This is why God left you. So live our lives, even if you suffer, with the end in view. And that is the glorious coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of questions to consider before we close. Number one, are you living your life for God's glory? Number two, are you giving him the best of your life? Are you giving him the best of your life? Are you giving him the coals or the leftovers? Or are you giving him the best of your life? And number three, what will he say to you when your life is finished on this earth? What will he say to you when your life is finished on this earth? What will he say? I know what I want him to say. But what will he say about yours? Are you going to just coast till you die? Did you quit? Don't do that. Live your life for the glory of God. Amen? Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts, in our lives, in this service today. Father, we need you. We're dependent upon you. And I thank you for these encouraging words from the word of God. Oh, Father, help us to live with the end in view. Help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.